0: If you will pull out a copy of God's word, whether it's your personal copy or one that looks just like this in front of you in the pew and turn to page nine, nine, seven, of the pew Bible or Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one, where we will continue our sermon series through the book of Romans. Last week we did verses one through seven, and this week we'll be working eight through 15. So we'll be in Romans chapter one. Well, every year, Jennifer and I have to sit down and we have the conversation of, where are we going on vacation? And the normal conversation, or normal questions that come up are, where are we going? When are we going? How long are we going to stay there? And what in the world are we going to do when we get there? And when you have a family that has two middle-aged adults, a 13, 10, 8, and 4-year-old, there's a lot of planning that goes into vacation. But no matter how much planning goes in, you know going in that there's going to be those moments that the kids are complaining, the kids are fighting, someone didn't go to the bathroom the last time you stopped and so you've got to stop again, uh, someone doesn't think it's their, it's their turn on the cell phone because they haven't got it yet, all the wonderful stuff that goes on. But no matter how much anxiety or pain or suffering you go through as parents, you also have the excitement that comes with knowing that there's nothing like the togetherness and the memories that are formed from that. You know, being together in a van for seven hours may sound like torture to some of you, but when we look back in years to come, those are some of the greatest moments we've had as a family. That togetherness produces memories that are unparalleled sometimes. Sometimes what happens when you're together is more important than what you are doing, whether it's going to the beach or going to the mountains. We see the same thing when it comes to mission trips. You know, when you're planning a mission trip, it's where are we going to go? How long are we going to be there? Who in the church is going to go? How much is it going to cost? What are we going to do when we get there? It's the same questions, but what we're going to learn today out of the book of Romans is it shares a principle with vacations, that the togetherness is just as important as the mission in which you are going for. The relationship between the missionaries and the host church, these people coming together in the name of Jesus... The fruit that comes from our togetherness is just as sweet as the mission we accomplish together. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Romans today. Paul's going to say, look, I want to come to Rome. I want to see you. I want to do ministry with you. Here's what I want to do. I want to preach the gospel. I want to have fruitful ministry. And he's also going to say this, I want to have mutual encouragement. And the phrase that came to me throughout the week as I prepared is, we are together for mission and then our togetherness leads to maturity. We're together on mission. When we go to Hosea for Good News Club, all 13 of us lock arms and we like, we will survive the next hour and a half, alright? When we start vacation Bible school that Sunday night when all the kids show up, all 42 of us are in the fellowship hall locking arms saying, we will make it the next five days. We are together on mission, but let us not forget that our togetherness also bears fruit too. Just being with each other and encouraging each other. We went to a Getty's concert as a church probably about a month or two ago. There was fifteen of us that loaded into the, the shuttle we rented from the association. You know, the concert was great, but the ride there and the ride home was just as sweet. And so what we're gonna learn today from the Bible is that we are together on mission and then our together togetherness is just as sweet. If I do my job well today, we're going to see that churches should be praying and encouraging one another. We should be praying and encouraging us in this room while we work together to preach the gospel to everyone. And we're going to see this out of Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Let's just start in verse 8. It's a standalone verse. You notice on your bulletin, proportionately, this is going to be a small sliver of the sermon, uh, but I want to cover verse 8 rather than skipping it. I want to cover verse 8 because it's an important reminder about our prayer life. Paul says in verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Now that you, take your finger back up to verse 7, he's writing to all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called saints. So this you is all Roman Christians. I give thanks to my God through Jesus Christ for all of the Roman Christians. And why is he thanking God for them? Because the news of your faith is being reported in all of the world. This is normal for Paul to have a thanksgiving prayer. You see it in a lot of his 13 letters. Paul introduces himself, Paul says who he's writing the letter to, and then he'll have some kind of thanksgiving prayer. This is a very short one. It's one verse, and to be honest with you, there's not tons to unpack from this unless I'm Captain Obvious today. What is Paul doing? He's thanking God. And he's thanking God that the gospel has reached Rome and the good news of God is changing lives daily. That people are being converted, that people are being changed. People are going from dark to light, from dead to life. They are being radically uh, transformed through the preaching of the gospel. And he is thankful to God because of that. And he even says the news of this is being reported in all of the world. Now I think that is a hyperbole. I don't think Paul means that in North America, back in the day, they heard about Rome's conversion. I think what Paul means is that everywhere in his world, he's hearing about what God is doing in Rome. When he's in Thessalonica, they're talking about the Romans. When he's in Philippi, they're talking about the Romans. When he's in Athens, they're talking about the Romans. Everywhere he goes, everyone is amazed that the gospel has made it to Rome. Now some of you may be, why why is that amazing? Well, if it started in Jerusalem, and it's made it to Rome, that's 1,450 miles that the good news of Jesus Christ has traveled through people like you and me. Praise be to God. This is without Twitter, without Facebook, without cell phones. Without 19 news stations, okay? This is good old fashioned, I have been sent by God to come to your city and tell you about Jesus, and the church has made it almost 1500 miles, which is equivalent to Kansas City to Miami. So if we sent out our church and we had to go by, by foot, and we were going to have mission strategy of as we go we're going to plant churches, and we're going to raise up disciples, and we're going to raise up church leadership, they have made it from Kansas City to Miami with the good news of Jesus. That is praiseworthy of, of, the, of this letter. But one line I want to really focus in on before we move on to our, our larger segment is Paul says, I thank my God. And then I think the hardest three words, not hard to read them, but maybe understand what he's saying theologically, is through Jesus Christ. So Paul is thanking God through Jesus Christ. I think what Paul's talking about here is he's reminding us that our access to God and our acceptance of God accepting us into his presence, that the way we can approach him, all of that has been secured and supplied, not by my works or your works or any works of anyone else other than who? Jesus. I I have A words because I'm a pastor and so uh, a Baptist pastor. We can approach God because of the accomplishments of Jesus. Now, this is different. In the Old Testament, they had, a, the, they had different segments of where God dwelled in the temple. And certain areas, us common folk could not go into. And the closer you got to the Ark of the Covenant, the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, less and less people could go in. And when you got to the finally the Holy of Holies, how many men could go in? One, and he went in on the Day of Atonement, the one day of a year, to offer a sacrifice so that God could forgive his people and cover their sins. And that is what we call a high priest. The high priest went in once a year. He'd slaughter the sacrifice. He would throw the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. He would dip it on the horns that are above it. And God would forgive his people. And since their sins were forgiven, God would continue to dwell with them. So this this high priest secured God's presence remaining with God's people. Well folks, Jesus did that. But he doesn't do it once a year. He did it once and for all. He didn't do it with the blood of an animal, he did it with the blood of himself. See, Jesus is not only the the priest that offers the sacrifice, he himself was the sacrifice he offered. And so the reason you sitting in this room today have access to God and can be accepted by God is because Jesus, our high priest, sacrificed himself covering our sins and paying our punishment. So now this just God, who cannot look the other way when it comes to sin, he cannot look the other way when it comes to unrighteousness, he cannot let evil go unpunished, so this just God can now use the blood of Jesus to cover up all of those things that kept us, and he can grant you and I access and acceptance based on the accomplishments of Jesus. So Paul says, I thank God that you are saved in Roman. But I want you to remember, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Folks, if I could encourage you today, you have a a way to approach God. You have access to God. Not because I'm sitting behind a little four-cubicle wall telling you through it. No, because Jesus died on the cross and by his blood and your faith in him, God allows you to approach his throne. Now you're saying... Where do you get this? Well, I think Hebrews 4, which Pastor Cowan's probably already turned to, and he was going to read at the end of service if I didn't. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, his name being Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. So, Journey Baptist Church and visitors, therefore, listen up, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Everyone in this room has a need today. Some of you that need may be salvation. Some of that may be forgiveness or strength or courage or peace. Some of you may be dealing with anxiety and you need contentment and to relax your mind and to put your trust in God's plan. But all of us have a need, but we also have access to a God that can help us. Praise be to Jesus that whatever prayer you need to pray today, you can approach the throne of God with that prayer because Jesus Christ accomplished what he did. Let us not skip verse 8 and read over the fact that every time we pray, every time we bring a request to God, every time we thank God, every time that we, we praise God, every time that we bring our supplications to God or confess our sin, that access that you have to that God was paid for by the fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So we need to be praying to God in our times of needs and taking advantage of the access Jesus has given us. For the remaining part of the sermon, I want to work through verses 9 through 15. Now, the nice thing for me is these lay out very nice. This was a very easy sermon to structure. We're going to see that Paul says his content of his prayer, and then Paul's going to say why he wants to come, and what he's going to do when he gets there. Notice what Paul says in verse 9. He says, God is my witness. So he just told him that he's been praying. I pray constantly thanking God for you. I'm mentioning you in my prayers. And God is my witness that I constantly mention you. Don't read the little in between there. God is my witness, and then skip down to the that. God is my witness that I constantly mention you. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is Paul praying when he's praying about the Romans and God. What is he praying about? What is his desire that he is bringing to God in terms of the Romans? Because he says the Romans are in his prayers constantly. And he's not making the statement, uh, you know, sometimes pastors will make very spiritual statements to make themselves sound spiritual, okay? And they say it, but they may not be being truthful. All right, well, Paul is not one of you to think that this is just pastor lingo. Like, I've been praying for you. Or you'll see someone in the hallway. They say, I had a rough week. And what do we have a tendency to say? I'll, yeah, I'll pray for you. And listen, I expect nine times out of ten we do pray for them. But every once in a while we say it and we really don't do it. Look who God, Paul calls as his witness here. God is my witness. The authenticity and genuineness... And the accountability that Paul is calling upon is the highest. If Paul stands before a court, he is going to allow God, who sees all, hears all, and is everywhere, he will allow God to testify that he truly is praying for the Romans. So the question is, Pastor, what is he praying for? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says, Always asking my prayers that if somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul's praying, God, let me go to Rome. Well, how do you know that? Well, he says it again in verse 11. For I want to very much see you. There it is again. Then you go down to verse 13. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. I have often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now. Paul says three times, look, God is my witness that you have been in my prayers. Because I want to see you. I want to visit you. I want to come to you. I want to come to Rome and be with you. And so then the question becomes, and where we're really going to drill down, is why does Paul want to go to Rome? And we're going to see three things that Paul wants to do when he gets to Rome. We're going to see that he wants to experience mutual encouragement, he wants to have fruitful ministry, and he wants to preach the gospel. And I think what we can glean from this is if Paul is planning what he wants to do on mission, and all of us as Christians are called to live on mission, Then what Paul plans to do when he's on a mission trip, me and you should plan to do as we live on mission, if that makes sense. So we're going to glean of Paul's desires of what he wants to do in Rome is what we should desire to do right here in Journey Baptist Church, in in Buchanan County, in in the state of Missouri, and all around. So let's look at these three things Paul wants to do. We know he wants to go to Rome. He's praying about it. God is his witness. And now the first thing he wants to do, we see it in verse 11. Paul says, I want to see you very much. So that, so that, so that tells you why, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. As we work through this, let's state what we know for sure. Paul wants to bring them a spiritual gift. We see that. I may impart to you a spiritual gift. Paul wants to bring something spiritual to give them. And he wants to give them this gift to strengthen them. To edify them, to build them up, and to make them stronger. But we also need to notice it says, I may impart to you. So the first guess you want to say, well, the spiritual gift he's talking about is 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12. You know, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul says, I may give you this gift. In chapter 12 of First Corinthians, it's, it's the Spirit who gives the gifts. So we're not talking about spiritual gifts in the traditional Baptist way of like hospitality and service and teaching. That's not what he's talking about. Paul is saying, I want to bring you a spiritual gift. Now, what was Paul set aside to be last week? Take your finger up to verse 1. He's a servant of Christ, called as an apostle, and set apart for the what? The gospel. Paul is a slave to Jesus He's a sent one, and his whole life has been determined that he will serve the gospel. So when Paul says, I want to bring you a gift, what I think Paul is saying is, I want to bring you the gospel. I didn't start this church, I've never pastored this church, but I'm an apostle, and God's given me this privilege where the apostles get to validate the gospel, and they get to explain it. Paul is saying, I'm so thankful the gospel's in Rome, and now I long to show up. And validate that you've heard the right news, and to explain it even more, I want to bring you the gospel of Jesus. This is what John Stott and Thomas Schreiner and Gordon Fee—they all agree that the gift has something to do with the gospel. I mean, Paul says he's a slave of the gospel, verse one. Verses two through four, he explains the gospel. Verse nine, he says he serves the gospel in his spirit. Verse fifteen, he says he's eager to preach the gospel. Pastor Calvin's going to teach next week, verses 16 and 17. He's not ashamed of the gospel. So you know what gift Paul is bringing in this church in Rome? He's bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's going to do in Rome is going to be magnificent. I hope you stay with our church as we preach through this. It's going to be magnificent to see this. Because I think the gift specifically Paul's going to bring is he's going to teach them two big lessons. The good news of Jesus is for everyone without distinction. First to the Jew, and then to the what? So no one is disqualified from the gospel of Jesus. Isn't that good news? The invitation is to everyone. Then the second lesson he's going to teach them is this. That through the gospel, everyone is reconciled to themselves. So not only is everyone invited into the kingdom, but once you're in the kingdom, we are all one body, we have one citizenship, we have one Lord, we have one baptism, we have one Savior, we are one in Christ. And if you've read Romans, you know he's going to get there. He's going to say, Jew, you don't have an advantage the Gentile doesn't have. We are all in Christ. And so I think the gift he is bringing to the Romans is this. He's bringing the fact of, yay, we can invite everyone to this good news. And once everyone is invited, they're all equal in the church of Jesus Christ. Just because one was born a Jew and one was born a Gentile, one was born rich and one was born poor, one is a Greek-speaking wise man and one is a barbarian who cannot speak Greek language, they're all still equal in the body of what? Christ. That's what he says here in verse 14. He says what? I'm obligated to both the Greeks and the barbarians. Those who can speak the language and those who just babble on. And I'm obligated to the wise and the foolish. What Paul is bringing, the gift that Paul is bringing to Rome, is that the gospel is for everyone, and everyone is equal in the gospel. And then he says, he catches himself, right here at the end of verse, uh, the end of verse 11. Notice in verse 12, he says, that is. Remember, Paul didn't start this church, he didn't pastor this church. So he doesn't want to come off arrogant. I mean, how arrogant does it sound? I'm an Apostle slave of Jesus Christ I've been set apart here's my gospel and I'm coming to you to teach you the right gospel it sounds very arrogant, very high church very I'm already above you and his whole goal is remind him we're all equal where so he catches himself and he says well that is that is not that I'm not the only one that'll be giving blessings that is you will also encourage me notice in verse 12 he balances out the scale I'm bringing you a gift Oh, and that is, you also will encourage me. Each of our faiths will be encouraged by this visit. You have something to offer me, and I have something to offer you. And folks, if you're looking for a definition of a local church, that's a great one to start with. Why do you go to church? Because I have something to offer my brother and sister in Jesus, and they have something to offer me. Church, on a horizontal level, let's get away from obviously we exist for the glory of God. I understand that but on a horizontal level why do you need to go to church why can't you just sit in your house and listen to the best preacher on the radio the best preacher on the internet why can you not just be a Christian in your house is this who are you mutually um, experiencing the love of Christ with whose faith are you gonna encourage when it's you your remote and your recliner and who's encouraging you listen Thursday night me and Jim had a rough day Thursday I had two men, Adam and Calvin, that had to listen to me complain for three and a half hours Thursday night. And every time I sent a message, I thought, they're not going to send one back. But by golly, what happened? They sent one back, and I argued more with them. And they just kept encouraging me. But if it was just me, my remote, and my TV, I would never have that. Folks, even Paul says, the great apostle Paul says this, there's something the church has that can benefit my soul. None of us are great enough, or strong enough, or wise enough to eliminate the need of a local church in your life. You know, when you play little league sports, yes, it is about winning, but it's also about being a good what? Yeah, good teammate. Really, is what I was looking for. But sportsman is good too. Your job, it, it, when you have a job, it, it really is about doing what your employer tells you to do. But they also want you to be a good what? Coworker. Going to school. You need to make good grades, but it's also about being a good classmate. Helping out at the parent-teacher association at Pickett Elementary is not just about sorting fundraisers, even though we love doing that. It's also about just being another kind citizen who cares about our community. Living in a neighborhood is not just about keeping your grass looking great. It's also about being a good what? Neighbor. Christian, going to church is not just about glorifying God. It's also about being a good brother or sister to the person next to you. There's something about our togetherness. And I summarize it like this. Church is about consumption. We do want you to consume something while you're here. We want you to consume the word of God. But we also want you to contribute to our edification as a church. So church is a balance. I consume some things and I contribute. Consume and tribute. If all you do is consume, we're going to motivate you to what? Start giving back. If all you do is give back and you're showing a hard heartedness about consuming the Word of God, we're going to encourage you to repent and accept the Word. So it's this balance of I consume teaching and I contribute to its maturity. If you want to go home and study more of this, because I got to keep going on, there are over 50 one another statements in the New Testament love one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another serve one another, be kind to one another, sing songs together, teach one another, build one another up, spur one another on, be hospitable. There are over 50 statements where your Lord and Savior tells you, go be Christ-like to the people in your church. So my first point today is this, there is mutual encouragement when we're on mission together. Paul is saying, I look forward to doing great things in Rome. But one thing that will happen, not only the mission we're going to do, but our togetherness is going to encourage one another. The second thing Paul has is that he's going to have fruitful ministry. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, I want to come to you. He says, now I want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I've often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now. In order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you just as I've had among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul is saying, look, when I come, there is a purpose for me coming, and that is for us to be on mission. We are going to continue what God has already started to do in the Gentiles. By the time Paul gets to Rome, he's planted over a handful of churches. He's written letters. He has preached the gospel. He has baptized hundreds, maybe. He has done a lot of stuff. He's saying, look, my trip to Rome is not a... It's not a detour. It's not a change of direction. It's a continuation of what God is already doing in my life. If you want to know what Paul does in his life, go back up to his introduction. What's Paul saying in verse 5? Through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship. Why did God give him those two things? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's glory. Paul exists to bring about the obedience of, of faith. Now we summarized this last week by... Paul exists to win people to Jesus and to build them up in their faith. So what's Paul saying? Hey, when I get to Rome, we're going to have a fruitful ministry that is a continuation. We are going to bear fruit. We are going to be gathering people up in salvation, and we're going to be building them up in sanctification. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, and I'm asking you to be part of it. I'm coming to do a work with you, and we are going to have a fruitful ministry. I think that among you, fruitful ministry among you, is not that like despise you or uh, not including you. I think he's saying, I'm going to do this, this, this evangelism and discipleship, and we're going to do it among you and with you. You're going to be part of it. Paul says, when you live on mission, there is a fruit-bearing process to your life. It's kind of like me and bargain hunting. I love, every time I go to the store, I hope I find a bargain. I am known to buy something I really don't need if I think it's a bargain. And one day we might need it. And when we do need it, I'm going to remind you that I got it on a what? Yeah, that's right. Not even a sale, a bargain. There's a difference between a sale and a bargain. Sale is what Hobby Lobby does every day. You Hobby Lobby's know what I'm talking about. A bargain is is when the lady at Walmart is bringing out just totes of random miscellaneous stuff, and it just says, dollar everything. All right, Dollar everything. We went to buy fishing lures about two months ago, because Dayton Hendricks will not let me live a day of my life without asking to go fishing. If you're a fisherman in here, help a brother out, take him fishing, okay? I've caught more fish than I have in the last five years in the last five days, alright? Go fishing. we got to go fishing. So we go to Walmart to get lures. Then I spot it. I spot it. There is bargain bin in the middle of the aisle, and this lady is just dumping random totes of stuff, and there's a sign that says, everything is a dollar. It's a good deal, folks. <laughs> Jennifer got fishing boots. We were going what? Fishing, and I was able to get them for a dollar. That's a bargain. She also got a purse. Her purse, she didn't need a purse, but when she does need a purse, we got it for a Dollar. Every time I go to Sam's, folks, I hope I find that clothing table at Sam's where everything is marked down. Now, Charlie Mears beats me to it every week, all right? But I want to beat Charlie to the Sam's clothing table every week because I love bargains. And every time I go to the store, I'm thinking what? I hope a bargain happens. I hope this trip is bargain-bearing, okay? I hope it bears bargains. You know, I, I, I saw him, I think, I think Paul had the same desire for every trip he took. I hope this trip bears gospel fruit. I hope when I get there, I find what I hope to find. Lost people wanting Jesus. Christians wanting to grow. People needing forgiveness. uh, Tired and weary Christians needing encouragement. I think every time Paul took a trip, he had the same mentality. I hope this bears fruit. I hope we have a greater desire every time we gather. I hope every time you drive to church, you have a greater desire to find fruit in this building than I do to find a bargain at Walmart. Because those bargains are temporal and will burn up one day. But, but the fruit we bear here is eternal and everlasting. I hope every Sunday you're on your way to church saying, I hope a lost person finds their way to our church today. I hope a discouraged Christian comes to my Sunday school class today. I hope someone with addiction comes in and hears the fact that God can set them free. I hope this bears fruit. Sunday school, worship, J2G, Good News Club, food kitchen, all of the things we do. Let me ask you, do you have a bearing fruit desire for our church? Not a program-sustaining desire, a fruit-bearing desire. I don't show up and pick trash up on the highway for the fun of it. I do it, for I hope one day I can use that as an illustration to show people that Christians want to be good neighbors and take care of it. I I just do. Everything I do, I hope there's a fruit to it. I hope it bears fruit. Jesus says what? If you want to bear fruit, you must remain in me. He says what? He says uh, in, in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me will produce much fruit. My Father is glorified by this. Why did Paul want to bear fruit on every mission trip? Because it glorified God. And then it says this in verse 16, Christian. Jesus says, I appoint you disciples to go and produce fruit. We exist as the kingdom of Jesus Christ and St. Joe for fruit bearing purposes. And I hope you have that mentality in your personal life, and in your church life, and your professional life, and your family life. I hope you want to bear fruit for God much more than I want to find a stupid bargain at a store. And I'm personally convicted because when I go to Walmart, a lot of times I'm more concerned about finding a dumb bargain than I am about encountering someone who needs the good news of Jesus. And that's our challenge the third one, Paul says, we are going to preach the gospel. Paul says, look, I want to be mutually encouraged. I want to have a fruitful ministry. And last, I want to preach the gospel. Folks, this is a very short point. If you're looking at these words in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There's not a lot of explanation. Paul's saying from his inner core, he's excited. He's, he's yearning. He's longing to get to Rome to preach the gospel To to the Romans we remember last week we learned the gospels for the saved and for the sinner or the lost You need it for to get saved and you need it to grow and be like jesus But I want to really focus on when paul says he is eager to preach the gospel I want to kind of look at a different way Even if paul wasn't eager guess what he still would have done Preach the gospel Well, how do you know that pastor it's an argument from silence. You're not god. You don't know paul's heart and mind Because Paul says this in verse 14. He says, I'm obligated. Do you see that word? I'm obligated to both Greeks and barbarians, wise and the foolish. What's he obligated to? Is he obligated to be their friends and play chess with them? Is he obligated to join the YMCA with them and play pickleball? He's obligated to these people for what purpose in verse 1? To preach the gospel of what? Jesus. You know what he says in Ephesians, or in 1 Corinthians 9? For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. Now listen, here's where I get my idea that even if he wasn't eager, he would have. But if unwillingly I preach the gospel, then I am entrusted with a commission. What Paul is saying is that whether he wants to or not, he's still under obligation to do it. So yes, this is a great verse. I am eager to preach the gospel. I could have the application today. You need to pray for eagerness to share your faith. But I want to do the opposite and say this. Even when eagerness is not presence, your obligation still is. Eagerness is a great luxury when it comes to preaching the gospel. Amen? There's moments where you're like, I want to go preach the gospel. It is a luxury when you like doing it. But it's always an obligation while we exist. Even when eagerness isn't there, Paul's still going to preach it. He says, woe to me if I don't preach it. This is a non-negotiable, this is not debatable, this is not a giftedness given to some. All of us are to preach the gospel of Jesus. It's kind of like house chores. I guarantee you don't wake up on Saturday morning and say, I can't wait to clean the bathroom today. I can't wait to do the dishes today. You know what, Jennifer? You just lay in bed a little bit longer. I'll do your chores today. I bet you don't, you love getting off on Tuesday night and going home and realizing every kid in the house has three baskets of laundry to be done. We all love that. I just sit at, at work, I say, Calvin, may I leave early today so that I can go home and start my chores? Really, it's, Calvin, are you sure we don't need to have coffee and pray tonight so I don't have to do my chores? None of us have that. But why do you do it? Because chores are what? An obligation. They're an obligation. Whether you like it or not, you've got to clean those dishes. Whether you like it or not, you've got to take the trash out. Whether you like it or not, you've got to do this. And folks, we need to add preaching to that list. That's the list preaching goes on. It's the, even if I don't want to, I must do it. That's the list that preaching's on. Don't put the preaching on the, if I have time, or if it's God's will, or if I have a good attitude, or if the Lord opens the perfect door. No, preaching goes on the list of what? Even if I don't want to, I'm still obligated to most of you probably wait until you're tired of the dirtiness and clutterness to clean see we don't want to do them but we know they must get done and folks when it comes to the gospel i'm not here to tell you pray till you're eager to share the gospel a lot of you are like please pr- preach that pastor as long as i'm not eager i don't gotta no no you are obligated eagerness is a luxury we all pray for God set my heart on fire to reach the lost. God, put me in the lost. Put me right around them. Give me the passion. Give me where I'm just soaking in that gospel and I want to share it. Eagerness is a luxury. Necessity is an obligation, or preaching is still an obligation. I want to end today by confessing my ultimate failure Friday afternoon. shouldn't say ultimate. Calvin just got nervous. Uh, it may not even be a failure. It may not be a failure because I've tried to already self-justify my, my lack of sharing the gospel. So I'm, I'm leaving Audrey's house Friday morning. I've dropped May off. Jennifer and I really did have a rough Thursday. You know, we, we had a rough Thursday. Life happens. So I'm on the way to work. I'm a little behind. I'm like, I just want to get to the office. I want to write this sermon. I don't want to be bothered. I got May dropped off, okay? And I'm coming down towards Hyde Park, and a gentleman is trying to get his motorcycle started. And luckily, I'm old enough now, and the men of this church have taught me, his starter probably went out. He could not get it started in first gear or when it's just sitting there. And so I see him, like, coast down a couple times, and then I'm like, I'll get out and help him, all right? Now, my desire to get out and help him was the good Samaritan, all right? Just to be real honest with you, I'm being really transparent. Nothing in me wanted to give him ten minutes of my life. But the Lord has asked me to be a good neighbor and a good Samaritan. Everyone understand that? Like Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right? I didn't want to, so I get out. And we're pushing it down. And it, it took us a couple times. Then get get started. And the third time, he goes, let's walk it up the hill. So we're going to go from um, Alabama, King Hill, whatever you call that. Not Alabama, Hyde Park, wherever that road is. We're going to go back up towards the parking lot so we can coast it down and get it. By this time, the guy's completely out of breath. I'm not, because I've only been going for two times, and we're walking the bike up, and he says, hey, can we just take a minute before we start? Now, folks, is that not a golden opportunity for me to do what? Hey, while you catch your breath, let me tell you why I pulled over, you know? I pulled over because Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and he says to be a good neighbor. Be real honest with you, buddy. If it was up to me, I'd be in the office drinking coffee, but I love my Lord, and my Lord sent me to do his work, and I'm doing the Lord's work. Do you know Jesus? That would be a great way to end this sermon, Amen. It's not how it went. Um, I want to think that I thought once we get it started, then I'll share with him. But I'm smart enough to know that once he gets it started, Stacy, what's going to happen? He's gone. So I thought, maybe I'll tell the church I didn't realize that. But then I realized that's lying in the pulpit. And I'm like, it's not worth lying to cover up my one laziness hierarchy of ethics. So he's catching his breath, and we push him, and it gets started, and off he goes. And I just remember thinking... Here I am, I'm going to be preaching about fruitful ministry and preach the gospel, and I didn't do it. You know what Paul says up here in in that verse? I've shut my Bible. Paul says, "I, I serve with all my spirit the gospel of Jesus. The only other time that that word, with my spirit, is used is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus says, stay awake and alert, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm here to tell you folks, your spirit may be willing today. You may be listening to the sermon saying, I'm going to do it. But realize when you get out there, your flesh is going to battle you. And my flesh Friday was, I had a rough day the day before, I want to get to the office, I'm already behind, and I want to get my sermon done, because it's Paul Paul's birthday on Saturday, Uh, Paul Paul's birthday, we're going in to see Paul Paul, I don't want to be stressed, I want to go to my kids' soccer games, I can justify it all day long. Folks, the fact is this, God gave me three minutes while the guy caught his breath, and I should have shared the gospel. And so now I have to wrestle with driving through this neighborhood, I followed him, here's how conviction works, we get to Casey's, I'm like, I'll just follow him home. And I'll share it there. I, I'm serious. But we got the King of Alabama the Light. And so now I know he lives somewhere in like a one mile radius of this church. And I have to live the rest of my life knowing I could have shared the gospel. Folks, make the commitment today that God is, has you on mission. So be mutually encouraged by us today. Love this church, serve this church, contribute and consume. We're going to have fruitful ministry when we gather. We're here to bear fruit for God. We're not here to sip coffee and have a YMCA. We're here to bear fruit. And no matter what we do, we're going to make sure we always preach the what? The gospel. Pray with me.